Well, do you think that sometimes you may have more in common with believers that you uh, find or meet halfway across the world? That was actually uh, my experience um, about 20 years ago when I went with Youth for Christ to Hong Kong, um, and we, our task there was to go to the local schools, and we would uh, put out these, uh, these programs for the schools that would involve singing and uh, testimonies and special performances. Um, back at that time, Stomp was really popular. Um, we tried to do it. Um, and then when we found out, only to realize that when we got to Hong Kong and we practiced our really well choreographed routine, it was terrible. And they told us to ax it. So <laughs> we had to come up with something actually brand new. Um, and so we just basically did songs and testimonies and all those kind of things, which I was sad. I, I really was sad. I love Stomp. Um, <laughs> But um, anyways, it, was, it wasn't really good. <laughs> but um, in, during our, our time, when we were going to schools, I mean, we would just meet hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students. I mean, we would meet, we'd do several, uh, several performances a day. And I remember there was this one person that came up to me after one of these performances, and usually it's just the same things, you know, of like, you know, we really loved your performance and, and this and that. But this guy was different. He introduced himself as, I was like, what's your name? He's like, Stephen. Oh, what's your last name? Lou. <laughs> oh, how do you spell that? Because <laughs> usually I don't meet a lot of people with my last name. L-O-O, and I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> I met Stephen Liu, and he was my doppelganger um, that I met in Hong Kong, and as we talked, it was just like crazy because he mirrored me. He looked like me, he acted like me, kind of looked like me, I think I was a little bit more, more handsome, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was me. Uh, and uh, he loved guitar. He loved uh, playing acoustic. I love playing acoustic uh, guitar. Um, he loved, like, bright and really weird, like, shirts. You can't see it, but he was wearing this 7-Up shirt. Um, that was really weird and kind of crazy and outlandish. Um, he, just, he just was so many similar things. And I was just, like, amazed that halfway across the world I meet somebody that is not only looks like me, he looks, he kind of talks like me, and he likes the same things as me, but his name was Stephen Liu. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever met your doppelganger um, in the world yet, but I'm like, what are the odds? And I just bring that to mind, because I think it's hard to visualize that because of our access in Jesus, um, just as Jake has been um, displaying in the last three sermons in Ephesians 2.19, that because we have all access passed to Jesus, and we are his temple and we are his body, um, that we may have more in things in common with a Turkish person who comes to faith halfway across the world than with a business student um, major here at UT Austin that doesn't follow Jesus. You have family across the world, and they number in the billions. You got a humongous family tree because you have the same Heavenly Father. This makes us maybe even have more things in common with the follower of Jesus in Egypt or in the Philippines more than 
a guy with the same sports affinities um, or uh, more than with somebody else with the same loves and passions and talents that you have but is not necessarily a believer. And how much more should we then care if that's true, that not only we have more in common with them, but we are just brothers and sisters in Christ like them? How much more care should we have when they get mistreated or imprisoned? And when you take a look at that Hebrews passage that Emily referenced so beautifully for us, Hebrews 13 is actually presses in this very fact. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 13 in your phones or in your Bible, we're just gonna take a brief look at what the writer of Hebrews um, was speaking to us. Now, Hebrews is a rich, rich uh, book. Um, we don't know who wrote it. Some say Paul. Most people like me, I don't think it's Paul. My personal take, it was Apollos. Uh, but just, it's an incredible, incredible book. Um, and it is a book um, that, uh, and, and that has an incredible, amazing aim. And I, I can't do it justice in just one little summary sentence. I know the women who did the Bible study um, this uh, semester in Hebrews can, brief, can definitely testify how rich it's been. Right, right, ladies? Yes, it has been awesome and good and so convicting and encouraging from what I've heard. Um, it's just a beautifully rich book. And when you look at it, um, you can just say this, that it's a series of both expositions and exhortations. It's both an exposition of expounding the exalted position of Jesus in regards to angels, to sonship, to priesthood, and sacrifice as demonstrated in the New Testament, New Covenant, contrasted by the Old Covenant. And there are four different movements in the epistle, um, which ranges from heaven and then kind of bridges down to earth and comes back up to heaven again. You see that the movements of the exposition of the Son is that, first of all, in the first part of the first two chapters, you see this exalted picture of the sonship of Jesus above all the angels in heaven. And then in the next few uh, chapters, you see the exalted nature of Jesus in his incarnation on earth. And then in the next uh, passages, then you see the exalted uh, nature of Jesus as the great high priest on earth in chapter 5 and chapter 7. And then you see him going back into heaven um, or back into um, his heavenly work in chapter 8 to 10 as the eternal sacrifice. And so Hebrews is a series of expositions of saying Jesus is better and superior than all things. But also Hebrews is a series of pastoral exhortations um, that are aimed at a people he knew well. He encouraged them to press in on their faith, in their confidence, as God's covenant promises and shares in that. And Jesus is ultimately faithful and believers because all of, prom all of the promises of Jesus are eternally secure, are called to say, let's press in, guys. Let's live lives of faithfulness. And so it's kind of like the difference between a long, long lecture where, it's, where the, the lecture saves all the application at the end versus a coach who's who's just kind of teaching some of the ground rule fundamentals to somebody and then breaking in and saying, hey, 
here's what you can do a little bit better. Oh, hey, lift up your hands for the shot a little bit more. And just kind of giving a play-by-play. That's what Hebrews looks like. It looks like a coach, a pastoral coach, who is encouraging them, saying, look at the exalted Christ, look at your life, endure. His promises are faithful and is good. Um, and so that's kind of what Hebrews is in a nutshell. And again, I cannot take, do justice for that. But in Hebrews, there's constant word that's remember, that frames up the major parts of Hebrews. The writers of Hebrews has, the writer of Hebrews has not just given them theological truths, but he follows it up with exhortations or warnings. Like Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, he says, take care, brothers, lest in you there be an, uh, you may be hardened by an unbelieving heart and not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so as long as today is called today, I want to encourage you not to be hardened by that. And so Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, gives them these positive, these negative encouragements, and then followed by this challenge for this community to endure. And so that's what it is. It's both ex- exposition and, and exhortation. Christ is exalted over the angels. He's exalted in his incarnation. He's exalted as the priest. And he secured a better way for you. So don't quit, church. Endure. And that's what the persecuted church needs to hear. And that's the story that we, um, in today's society, as a very comfortable church, needs to hear. And so as we get into this closing section in chapter 13, we see that the writer has just, again, some practical closing reminders of how this faithfulness is lived out. In the first seven verses, we see imperatives that help us to teach and love one another in the context of us as a family of God. And in verses 8 through 19, we have these imperatives that tell us how to function within our church community, specifically how they are supposed to remember their leaders. And then 20 to 25 is a benediction in closing. So let's take a look in 13, verse 1. The writer says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Um, This word for love is the word where we get the city's name Philadelphia, which means... Brotherly love, you know, probably been in there, brotherly and sisterly love. That's the, uh, the, the push of that word. Um, it's centered around this theme of, again, loving one another um, in the context of your family and your community. And you might wonder as you wrestle through the rest of chapter 13, as you read and skim through, he talks about prisoners, he talks about marriage, and he talks about money. <laughs> I mean, you just think about like four, three or four different topics that shouldn't go together, actually go together, you might be like, what is the connection? The main dominant theme here is this theme of generosity. It's just expressed mainly in hospitality to those who are in need rather than a selfish concern for financial security. And later the writer kind of pushes home this point and says that our security in God on how he will support us and how he will literally leave us never leave us or forsake us in verse five basically means that our security is in God. We have nothing to worry about. 
And so, because God is a God that we don't have to worry or fear our future, even if we are being persecuted or even if we're not being persecuted, and we can also trust our leaders because our leaders have been faithfully preaching the word of God to us and has been teaching us, and also because Jesus, he's, he stays the same. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, be reminded now from these four topics, marriage, uh, hospitality, and money, and, and brotherly love that frames everything, those things really matter. Um, for hospitality, be generous, again, with your resources. For marriage, the word means to honor, which connotes just the preciousness and the value um, to something or someone. Which, in this case, to be generous in loving your spouse and to guard their sexual purity. And with your money, remember that God will provide. And at the heart of it at all is God's generosity. So remember your leaders, verse 7 8, who have demonstrated this generous faithfulness to the word. And so while this text may not look clear, I just want to encourage you that there are deeper connections beyond the surface. And I want to say with that, that there are deeper family connections that we are created and, and connected to the body of Christ around the world more than we realize. So let's take a look then back at verse 3. Let brotherly, or verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as, those, as though in prison with them. And so out of all the people that they were called to show hospitality to or love to, it was actually, the writer was saying, it's the prisoners. When we think about doing hospitality, we don't necessarily think about that as our go-to. It's not that, uh, say, this is not on our radar a lot of the times. It's not to say that in the first century context either, that there was a lot of opportunities for people to do that. There was a lot of places for them to show hospitality to anybody. Now, you knew you were a Christian, though, in the first century by your hospitality. Um, if you were a Jewish person or even a Greco-Roman person in the culture, you showed your righteousness simply by how you opened your home to other people who were traveling or to traveling teachers. And so, especially when you knew that a lot of the Jewish versions of motels and hotels, they were not run really well, they were expensive, and people were not treated well. Um, it was so prized in this society. And this idea of entertaining angels brings to mind Abraham's hospitality toward the angelic visitors in Genesis 18. You can take a look at that. Um, but the writer here was focused on saying, in the process of all that, of showing hospitality to travelers and to uh, businessmen and even to refugees, Make sure you do not forget your own people, especially those who have shared a jail cell. The audience of Hebrews had possibly cared for um, people in prison before so well. If you turn back to Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 34. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So the writer of Hebrews was not just saying, go find some prisoners somewhere and show hospitality. He says, show hospitality because you've been there. You were actually may have been one of them. Your money and your wealth probably could have been just taken away. And you've suffered the bad publicity of being verbally abused and mistreated. Um, that word to be publicly exposed is this word theatrizo, which we get the word theater, and it kind of means this to be brought up on a stage, to be made the public spectacle, to be insulted and um, verbally maligned. And so I just want to say that the writer of Hebrews was saying, hey, this goes deeper. Some of you have personally experienced suffering, and you can sympathize with the incarcerated. The idea behind the word compassion gives us this sense that of feeling the same sufferings, the same emotions, and the same empathy. These people have been evicted of their homes, most likely even witnessing their own property being looted or burned with fire and burnt to the crisp. My kids had this conversation the other day. How do you know whether our house would not ever be destroyed by fire? And man, I just felt such a deep empathy with my kids because they were just working through this. And I said, well, we can never guarantee the fact that our house will never be burnt to the ground, but we know that when we call to the Lord, he will do whatever it takes to be able to help us. And we will help you, and daddy will be there, and mommy. And so it just means something when somebody close to you, or you yourself, have experienced the same thing. And that's what brotherly love looks like. It is to say, to keep present, to remember, to keep present in one's thoughts. It means, and as we look at the text, the sentence is strengthened by this phrase, as though in prison with them. In other words, care for prisoners as if they were right there staring in front of your face. This is just really hard because, you know, prisons are places we easily and maybe in our own hearts, we want to ignore. For our culture, it's out of sight and out of mind. And yet, this has been something I've been wrestling with in my own, in my own life. And it's God has been opening my eyes. My best friend right now is currently in federal prison. It's been hard because I know him. I've known him since middle school. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the case, but I know that he started a family, and I know his wife. I know his newborn daughter. And I was in his wedding. And yet, as he's writing to me, his faith has grown stronger even in the first six months of prison. And one of the things he wrote to me, I won't delve into specifics, but he just said how he was reading Paul's prison epistle of Philippians. And he said to me, that means so much to me. 
that Paul suffered while I was in prison. Paul suffered in prison under house arrest. And it means so much to me, and it encourages me that I am now sitting in prison, my friend tells me, and that Paul himself can sympathize with what I am going through. And he can even say in all those things, rejoice, for again I say, I'll say, rejoice if the gospel goes out. And man, this brother, you know, it, it's just unreal. But it's just given him such incredible comfort. And you know, it just really hits home when I read this. Because there's a strange comfort when you know somebody who has been in the same shoes as you and been in the same place, maybe for different reasons, but in the same place, when they experience what you feel. And the writer says here, care for prisoners as if your best friend was in prison. And I just want you to think about that as you think about people who are incarcerated. Just think about that. What if your best friend was in prison? And this is strengthened by the added words in, in Hebrews. It says, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. I know a lot of times where our mind just goes straight into, oh, well, we're the body of Christ. Well, you know, we're a member. We're the brother and sisters of Christ. But again, this is giving this sense of as you yourselves are suffering. The thought here, as one commentator said, quote, is be concerned for those who are suffering as if every blow they receive puts a stripe across your own back. And I think about just my own kids. I think that's just where I'm at in my life. When my kids get hurt, you know, it may hurt them, but man, it hurts me more than it hurts. Probably, well, maybe it, it hurts. It hurts them. <laughs> like when Ezra, he got hit in the face with the baseball um, during his baseball season. And man, it just, you could hear a pin drop. It was like smack and he just took it in. And, um, uh, I just really felt it for him. But that's the kind of what Paul, what, not Paul, what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We're called to fill the blows of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We heard Emily's testimony about Manzu, the assassin, and uh, we can't travel to Bangladesh per se right now to encourage Manzu, but what do we do? How can this affect us? How can we do this? Well, the main thing is what really stirred my heart in Emily's testimony is her Hebrews 13.3 that kind of just started me on this and praying at 13.03 military time. On Memorial Day, we remember those who lost their lives to freedom, those who have lost their lives in world wars, including World War II, in which almost 300,000 Americans alone um, were, uh, were counted to have, di to have died. And there's untold millions of people who have died worldwide. We don't have an exact count because the most casualties happen in Russia and China, which we don't, and obviously the Jewish people. Um, and we celebrate those who give their lives for freedom and also remember those who have fallen, remember those who have died such unjust and cruel deaths. And we give thanks for those who serve in the military. But do we have a memorial day for those who have lost their lives for Jesus? Is that under the radar of many Christians, including myself? 
And I just want to recommend that you pick up um, or that you remember that. What if every day we were praying for the persecuted church? What if every day we were praying and interceding for them? Um, and I, I, think, I think just part of that is just encouraging you all as families, if you haven't yet already, to pray with your children and pray regularly for the persecuted church and also the unreached peoples of the world. Um, we have a book called Windows on the World that's available for anybody who didn't ha- get a copy from graduation Sunday last year. Um, just a Operation World resource to help you pray um, as a family. Um, and so we would encourage you to pick that up if you don't have that, um, just to pray. Um, but um, again, by the time you go to bed tonight, over 15 people will die today for their faith in Jesus. And by the time you go to bed tonight, over 17 believers will be in sentenced, detained, or imprisoned. Um, 17 people, maybe the size of the first four rows in this room. Now, I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip for all the work that we don't do in the area of missions or to make us feel guilty. We can easily go and be resort to the Lone Ranger uh, Christian and try to fight this all on our own. It's really easy for us to go down the path of secular justice um, as well, but ultimately. But I think one of the things that I'm asking God and uh, for us as a body is this. Perhaps we can just spend some time for God to help our hearts deeply connect with what our brothers and sisters are, are dealing with even though it's not our lived experience. That's really just my, my greatest heart. That somehow you would, the Lord would do something in you that you would love the global body more. You would love God more. And out of that overflow, there would be something that God stirs in you. And, and that should definitely, as our hearts overflow for God, then it should just overflow to others. So this is what we're gonna do right now. Um, we're gonna just spend some time in prayer for the persecuted church in Bangladesh. And um, so I just wanna invite Daniel to come back up here. And again, the main thing I want us to do is not just to check it off as a checklist, but really for us to feel um, just the weight of what our fellow family members, our brothers and sisters, are dealing with in Bangladesh. Um, and to know that God is wanting us to stir up a deep love for them. Um, and so I want to talk about that for a little bit, and then I'm going to um, give some prayer requests from church plant leaders from Bangladesh that Emily actually um, connected with. And it means so much that you're praying for them. Um, so um, again, Bangladesh, um, Bengali Muslims, a uh, number of over 220 million people across the world, majority of them live in Bangladesh. Uh, Bangladesh is one of the poorest countries in the world. Floods and cyclones usually ravage the area, yet change is coming. A lot of times you see on your clothing, you see it's made in Bangladesh. They're rapidly becoming one of the major cloth, clothing, and textile uh, suppliers in the world. Um, The capital city, Dhaka, is home to an estimated 20 million people, which makes it one of the world's fastest-growing megacities, yet it's over 90% Muslim and minority Hindu. And they have the Jesus film, they have the Bible in their languages, um, they have uh, audio recordings, but they are one of the largest unreached people groups on earth. 
And as we're seeing tens of thousands uh, from Muslim backgrounds coming to faith in Jesus, many more Christians will need to come and share Jesus before that changes. And honestly, they're just the ordinary people, like the people that, were, uh, that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. The ordinary Christians that will say, I'm called and I want to go. And so these are the requests from church plant leaders in Bangladesh. Um, again, she uh, was able to use names, but because sermons go online, we, I'm just using the first letter of their name to protect the identities of those who are persecuted. We don't want to take any unnecessary risks. And I just can't wait to see how God is going to answer these prayers. I cannot wait. Um, there was a lot of spiritual attack I was following this morning, too, and this afternoon. And um, some of y'all prayed for me, so I was so reminded of how much your prayers mean something. So if you would bow your heads, and I would just ask you right now, would you just pray that God would connect you in a deep way to these brothers and sisters in our global family? Picture yourself in front of the Bangladesh person that's pictured on the screen. Picture them in your living room. Picture them right in front of your face. And just ask the Lord to stir your affections for God and for his glory and for the nations. Even confess any areas where you're numb or you're not feeling anything right now. And ask the Lord to stir in you just a deep love and compassion. just stir up in us a deep love for our brothers and sisters across um, the world. God, just change us, God, if we need changing. Bring us conviction and burden. We don't have burden. Give us a deep grief for the lost who do not have a saving relationship with you. God, we just pray that you would just do a great work in our hearts and help us to not, even if we're feeling like this is not even very weighty, I know from a spiritual standpoint that there's nothing more important than we can be praying for our brothers and sisters to stand firm and to endure in Christ. I just want to invite the prayer partners, our prayer team to come to you all the front and the back corners of the room. And now I just really would love for us to pray. Pray, you can pray alone, but I would encourage you to pray with your families if they are here. Pray with somebody across the room or across the aisle. And I'd love for us to pray for the persecuted church. First of all, and I'm just, I, we'll go through these each at a time. I'll give a request and then you can pray. 
and we'll go until we finish. Um, so go ahead and reach across to somebody next to you. And if you feel like there's something that on your heart for prayer that you just need prayer for, I want to encourage you to come up also just to receive prayer, whatever burden, whatever struggle you're going through as well. Um, during this time, feel free to do that or just to feel free to be um, praying with somebody around you. Um, so let's go ahead and pray for the Bangladeshi believers to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, the Word, and local believers, and for the persecuted themselves uh, to encounter Jesus in a powerful way. So let's go ahead and do that um, just for a few seconds.